What is up, everyone? How's it going? Anthony Ramirez here. Welcome to another episode of Academics and Amigos. I'm so glad you're here listening because we have a fantastic episode today. I am going to be interviewing Asha Winfield, who is also a PhD student here at Texas A&M, and she's doing some amazing work with Black identity and Black representation within media, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. So, with that being said, let's hear what Asha has to say, and let's get started. Here with my friend, my peer mentor, colleague, and just an overall amazing person, uh, Asha Winfield. Um, she's a PhD student here at Texas A&M University with me in the communication Woo-hoo! department, right? Um, Gigam Ags and Howdy and all that good stuff to oh. all my, all my <laughs> Aggie people. <laughs> all my students know I, I don't do Howdy. Mm. Like, I tell them right off the bat, I'm all like, I'm just going to say this once for you all for this semester. Yeah um howdy and then after that howdy. and then after that like i tell him okay that's the only time you're gonna hear it in class and so um i'm not a howdy person myself you know i'm a what's up or a hey type of person i feel it i am too yeah you know um you know uh so it, it, you know <laughs> it's one of those a and m uh things that that um it's, it's, it's part of that culture um which is it really is. interesting it's like a magic word though like honestly i've seen it shut down the whole room it re- <laughs> yeah it really does have like a, a special like it really is it's like a superpower of its own you know like it really is you know uh you know so it, it's it's really interesting the way howdy works at texas a&m um exactly. so it's something else but um, enough about a and Let's talk about okay. you. Let's talk about you, Asha. This is, this is what we're here for. Um, you know, so I want to know, what made you want to pursue a PhD? Mm, that's a great question. So, whew, you got to do like, like rewind the track back. Yeah. Um, because I never saw myself in this position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never saw myself getting a PhD. Um, just a whole lot of thoughts about like being a great teacher. I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to create videos. I knew I was really interested in hearing people's stories. I definitely thought I may end up in like journalism. My family just knew I was going to be on somebody's like channel television doing the late night news or something, just anything reporting. Cause I was always just like, always had a camera in my hand, like always capturing the moment. Um, but I never thought that all of those things would be like the equivalent to getting a PhD. Um, I tell this story really often, so I don't know if people have heard it before, but that's okay, we're gonna tell it again. Um, The year was 2015 and I was ready to get out of my master's program. Like it was two and a half years, it was like, it was nice sometimes, it wasn't nice sometimes. And I was just ready to go. Like, senioritis on the master's level had hit me in the chest. Like, I was ready. I was out for the count. But one of my friends, Paige, said, hey, I really think you need to go to this communicating diversity conference because your research is really interesting. I was talking about colorism and cosmetics and how the names of the cosmetics change and that they were really related to these theories and how we understand colorism. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll I'll go to this little conference. (laughs) You know, I got this little conference. And I went. It was in April of 2015. And it was was really dope. Like, I heard 
research from people who were out here killing the game. I mean, like PhD students, master's students. I was really, really impressed. Um, and when it was my turn to do the presentation, I think I was in like the last block of the day. Like, I didn't know if that meant that it was really good. They were saving the best for last or if it just wasn't. But, we, you know, we got you in here. <laughs> hey, you're there, you know. Okay, I like to think of that. I like to think of that. I've been there. Um, so I got up. I gave my presentation. Actually, I think I was wearing this very dress. So I don't oh. know. I'm shamed. <laughs> uh, but I got up. And it was a packed room. Like we had a really interesting crowd and we had a really interesting panel. And I started talking about colorism and how we see it in makeup, how we see it in advertisements and how that affects African-American women. And I guess I just really didn't even notice how into it people were. And so I sat down after all that was done and people started coming up and talking to me. I had never had that experience before. Like I didn't know that people like would be interested in what I was doing because that interest wasn't necessarily populating in the same way at my master's program. In some places, like absolutely, yes, it was good. But yeah, after I gave the presentation, like people were talking to me and I'm like, oh snap, hold on, let me find out I got some good work. And one of the people to come and talk to me was Dr. Shrevey. And she asked me a simple question, but it really changed my life. And she asked me, have you ever considered getting a PhD? Mm -hmm. I was like, no. <laughs> No, I haven't. Actually, when I graduate, I'm done. I'm going to go back home to Beaumont, Big Money, Texas, and I'm going to go teach. I'm going to be good. Like, I'm, I'm good. Mm -hmm. She was like, well, if you happen to consider it, I really think you should come here because we have a really great program, and I would like to keep in contact with you if you don't mind. I was like, yeah, we can, we can, we can exchange emails. Like, that ain't nothing. That's harmless. Right. Um, but Shrevy was on it, okay? It was not harmful for her. Like, she knew she saw something in me, and she wanted to be a pusher, a motivator for me in that way. So 2015, I'm thinking about it. Um, Shrevy has emailed me. Kristen has emailed me. I was like, well, maybe I can ask them some questions about the program. I really never thought about it. I never thought I was good enough to be in a PhD program. I never thought I was smart enough. Nobody ever said, like, hey, you should be a doctor. Like, no, nobody ever said that to me. Um, but for two years, like a year and a half, like, I feel like they really courted me. Like, all the questions I had about the process, they answered. All of my fears, they really relieved, right? They made me feel like I could do this. Like, if anybody could do it, like, you can do it. We'll help you through this process. And so I applied. Mm -hmm. And here we are. <laughs> There's some middle ground in that story. But, yeah, here we are. That's awesome. And so for the people who don't know who, like, Dr. Shrevi is, Dr. Yeah. Shrevi is our advisor, Dr. Shrevidia Ramasurvamani. Yeah. So shout out to Shrevi because um, she's, um, she's an amazing um, professor instructor yes. advisor mentor person, person everything yes. she's the best and uh yes. and asha and i both have like mad love for shrevi because of all the stuff that she's done for us personally and has encouraged us and supported us in ways that you know like like you were just mentioning that we never thought that we could achieve or or you know and so to have that type of support from somebody who's done it you yes. know and is doing it you know yes yes you know, it's nothing but it's it really is a blessing, it you know, is. and so um, it really is amazing. So you, you kind of highlighted it earlier in your research. I mean, uh, in, in um, your story 
about how you you got in uh, to pursuing a PhD. You mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit about research that you do, but like, yeah. what other research do you do? Like, what is, what's your research about? Great question. So I often tell people that um, I study black folks, and then they get a little nervous, and I'm like, okay, let me get a little more specific. Yeah. <laughs> um, I study the stories of black people, whether it happens in society and in our culture or whether it happens in media, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they merge and and we get to study those things as they happen together. Um, But I study black identity. I study how it's formed, how it's negotiated. Um, I study how it's passed down, sometimes just through folklore, sometimes through media, sometimes through what we hear at family tables. Um, what we hear in the history books, like, I love it. I I love it. Um, I know some of my family's like, girl, we didn't know you were that interested in Black stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody ever made space for me to, like, show where my heart was. And yeah. in this space, and I never thought, let me be very honest, I never thought that it would happen at Texas A&M. Mm. Um, never thought. I had no idea that it would happen that way. And um, I never thought it would happen that way. And it has just been a blessing. Like all of the things that I wanted to study before as it related to black culture, black identity, black stories, black popular culture, Mm -hmm. um, I've had the space to do it here. So some examples of some of the research that I've done, um, one of the very first studies that I wanted to do I take everything back home. All of my research has something to do with who I am or my hometown or my family in some type of way. And so one of the very first studies that I did when I was here was a barbershop study. And the title of it was Boys to Men or Space and Opportunity, a study of the black women and men inside of the uh, the black barbershops. I messed it up a little bit, but that's close enough. Um, and in that, I... Um, I got to do participant observations and interviews of barbers from around the country. I started off in Beaumont, big money, shout out. (laughs) Um, I started off in Beaumont, right? I started off with my dad, who was a barber for over 40 years in Beaumont, Texas. And he would tell me all the time about the culture, just the rich cultural space that the black barbershop is and Mm. continues to be. And I told him, Daddy, I just want to sit down and talk to you. Like, be my key informant. Like, talk to me about how this space has transformed over time. Like, it's not just a space for Black men, right? Mm -hmm. Black women are entering the space. Like, we're getting haircuts now. We're getting edged up now. But we're also in the space as as barbers as well. And so um, even talking to Black black women barbers now and just to talk to them about how um, their race and their gender is negotiated in this very black space. It it was everything. It was everything to me. The stories that they share about how haircuts and just the moment and the intimacy that you have with another person while you're touching just their hair, like what that means um, as it relates to collective and individual identity. Like that was everything to me. And I can't wait to expand it because I feel like there are so many more conversations. There are 
black women barbershops that are popping up all over the United States where it's no longer just a male dominated space. Like now women are saying, no, like we can have this space too. And I love it. I love it. Um, On the other side of black identity, on the other side, there is, um, sorry, it keeps doing the thing. On the other side of black identity, like even beyond the, the, the black barbershop and how we talk about how in those cultural spaces, black identity is shaped through space, through intimate and vulnerable conversations and just through touch, like through touch alone. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of that coin is black media, black popular culture, because that is another form of black storytelling. And so um, within the last three years that I've been here, I've been able to study blackish. I've been able to study black lightning. Um, I've been able to study black biopics, which really have a special place in my heart and just how people are able to watch a television show, to watch a movie, um, to watch a documentary even, and they learn more about themselves, how, how they negotiate, who they are, even their behaviors, right? How um, audiences are, are resonating and receiving these messages that are in the the very stories that we watch whether it's for entertainment or for education and i absolutely love it i love it i don't think that there were there will be a pause on the stories that we produce and so i feel like i'll always have a job (laughs) (laughs) always do something to study that's not a plug but if there's anybody listening I, I hope this I hope that this eventually becomes something that that you know this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this too I'll be able to showcase my friends and yeah. the amazing people that I've met along the way this is the point this is the point of this podcast that I want to be able to showcase the amazing work that you all do and I want to highlight the great stuff that you all do and I think the work that you're doing is is amazing and I think that it's needed you know because um, you and I are very similar in our research interests. They really are, and especially going back to even like our roots of in, in our cities and where we're from. I'm very into that too in my own personal research. Yeah. But, and, and also in terms of like uh, focusing on race and popular culture too. I, you know, mm-hmm. I do that as well. And so it's, it's interesting just hearing your perspective on it too. And, um, it, you know, I'm excited about your work and I've seen, I've seen it grow tremendously and it's only going to get better and better with time. And I'm excited for you. I really am. I think it's super, super cool. And, I'm excited as well. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. So you're like, you're, you're at that final stage of this part of the career to move on to the next one. It's <laughs> like, it's, it's almost there, you know? So yeah. Yeah, you know, so definitely I hope people hear this and I hope people are inspired by it and are able to, you know, take something from it and maybe like even look up some of your own, some of your research too. That'd be awesome. That would be good. We got, I got a lot of stuff out in the world now. So I just sent my blackish study to the mm-hmm. journal of, what did I send it to? I sent it to Howard Journal of Communication. Whoa. Um, can I say that? I don't even know if I can say that. I don't know. I don't know if there's any like. You got some reviewers on here? I don't know. So I just sent off the Blackish study to a journal. Mm -hmm. I also just sent off the Barbershop study to a journal. There you go. About black people. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, I think it's, it's just awesome. You know, one of the first things that I got published was a co-authored piece about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it has just, I see it everywhere. And so if people aren't talking about intersectionality, then I'm like, we're missing a conversation here. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much more complex than yeah, what we see. Um, even when people often want to talk about stereotypes, and I'm like, can we move? Let, let's move beyond the stereotypes that exist. Let's complicate identity. Yeah. Um, it's so much more complex. It's so much more nuanced. And people yeah. shouldn't have to erase any parts of themselves. Like, I hope that my research allows us to understand and to study whole people, right? Um, any group of people is diverse. Mm-hmm. Black, the Black Collective is diverse, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and I just hope that the research that I do allows for us, us scholars, to make space to understand just how complex identity truly is, especially in our storytelling. But it's rich. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Like, I, I, just hearing about your the passion that you have for it, that's that's yeah. awesome. And and I had a chance to interview a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and we were talking about the passion that we have as as researchers, as instructors, mm-hmm. as even graduate assistants, research assistants, and how that drives us. And how do you think that that passion that you have really drives you in the work that you do? Um, it's everything. Mm-hmm. It it's it's everything but like how do you describe the fuel that wakes you up in the morning like mm-hmm. how do you describe the the burst of energy that comes when you hear sto- hear stories about people who look like you people yeah. who have hopes and dreams like you people who face oppression so that you could be in this place uh to be able to talk about identity in the way that we talk mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. um when i talk about black popular culture when i talk about black women because i'm all about it okay um it it wakes up something inside of me you know i don't know what the ancestors are out there doing (laughs) but um i feel like i always want to make them proud you know i feel like i always want to it's not so much uncover or reveal because though those things are out there happening. But there's a phenomenon that exists that is taken for granted, right? We hear that in, in our studies, but I don't know if we ever really take the time to really understand just how much culture can be taken for granted. Um, and so I make it my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a side thought or something I hope I include in my study. No, it's the focus of my study. Um, When I think about the people back home who encouraged me to do this, I mean, not everybody did. Let's be very honest. Everybody doesn't want you to leave home Mm -hmm. and do a great thing. So that was a battle on its own. But for those people who pushed and encouraged and said, you can do this. um, Every time I I open my laptop, I think about the opportunities and the blessings that I have because of people who went before me. Um, I was talking to my dad just last week. You know, we, we like to have these monumental conversations. <laughs> I like that. Um, he's old school. He's 77. And wow. he's seen a lot. He's seen a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just talking about the reality of a Black woman in a PhD program at Texas a and University. Mm-hmm. Studying 
black people at Texas a and University. And it just, I don't, it just became so real for me. We were talking about just the history of this place, but like the whole nation. Um, and just knowing that not only black folks weren't allowed until a certain year, women weren't allowed until a, ste- a certain year. And to know that I'm sitting in this place freely researching what my heart desires. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't take it for granted. I have no idea if I answered your question. I think you did. That was a great question. <laughs> that was a good answer. I mean, that was a great answer. And uh, I was, right now when you were mentioning that, I had kind of like a um, nostalgic moment too of one of our first conversations together. I remember that we, it was that first week where um, I didn't know anybody uh, at Texas A&M, and so you were like my first friend here at A&M. Like you really, you really um, are, and 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 uh, were. And um, I remember you're like we we were we had lunch and we had time and all that stuff, and it was I think a time where we had to meet our peer mentors and stuff. And you and I have had prior oh, conversations yeah. and stuff. And so we just went like around the campus just to walk and hang out and talk. Mm-hmm. And and um, I remember one of the things I told you was that that you know I'm doing this for the people back home. Yeah. I'm doing this because I, I you know it's something that I'm carrying with me. You know I'm carrying El Paso on my back because I want to be able to showcase that El Pasoans can do great things. I want to show that people from UTEP can do great things. Yes. Um, and that, you know, just for all the people back home, you know, that supported me, whether it's my family members, my mentors, friends, et cetera, et cetera, you know, uh, it's, you know, very similar to your situation that we're doing it for the people that we care for and that have yes. supported us. And I think that that's something that is, uh, it's, 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 um, it's fantastic to have that type of support, you know? Um, we talked about Shrevi here and we're talking about our family members, but support means everything in a PhD yes. uh, program. Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm 100. Um, <laughs> listen, like, I don't, I don't think that I could have made it this far without support. And support looks like a lot of different things, honestly. Um, for some, it's prayer, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just, you need to have somebody that you can call and be like, we need to pray because I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm ready to give up, okay? Um, for other folks, it's just having somebody to vent to and they understand this process. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can vent and they're like, oh, you can do it. I know you can do it. Yeah. And that's good. That is really good. You need that too. Yeah. But every now and then you need somebody who understands the day-to-day of being a PhD student, of having to stay up late, to read a lot, to write a lot, to produce a lot, to always be thinking critically, to always be synthesizing. Like, it's good to have those people mm-hmm. who understand what you are in the middle of. Because sometimes it can be like a storm. Sometimes it's a beautiful blessing and there, there's sunshine and there's rainbows and there's yeah. birds, tweet, tweet, tweet. And then other times it's like a hurricane. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. <laughs> like tornadoes happening i think i see a, a, a tsunami like this is a lot this is a lot um but there are people who like throw you a, throw you like a rope or they come and rescue you on the boat and they say you can get this done like mm-hmm. you came here to get this done we believe you can get this done and we're going to give you the support and the resources that you need to get it done definitely sometimes that's our classmates yeah. a lot of times i found support in my students mm-hmm. 
um, which looks different because sometimes they need support as well. But sharing my testimony with them, mm -hmm. being present in the classroom in mm -hmm. the way that I am very embodied. Okay, mm -hmm. they know what they got. I'm pretty sure they looked it up. <laughs> um, that that means something for someone in the classroom to to see me, right? Or to come to office hours and be like, hey, can you talk to me about how you got here? Like, I just want to be like you. Like, I've had that happen. And yeah. it would happen and you just don't even know how much you needed somebody to be like, you inspire me. Mm -hmm. um, it, so not only office hours, but like giving presentations, like people would just come up and be like, I'm so encouraged by you. Like, if this is what a PhD looks like, then I feel like I can do it too. And I'm like, sis, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Like, yes, you can do this. Will there be sacrifices? Absolutely. Will there be tears? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there will be. Um, but it, it will be worth it. Um, I have said so often, Anthony, um, it takes a village, right? There's this African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And I have just, I've just grabbed a hold of it because it takes a village to make a PhD student yeah. or to make a doctor. And I mean that with my whole heart because yeah. when you think about the work that we do, we can't do any of it alone. None of it do we do in isolation or in a vacuum. If you see a doctor, then they had people who were participants. They had people who read over their papers. Mm -hmm. They had people who were probably in writing groups with them. They had an advisor. They had family back home. Some of them probably sending money to make sure that, you know, they were good or can pay some bill. Yeah. Um, there are friends out there who probably read over stuff, who probably shared their flyers for research like it takes an entire group of people to produce a phd student to produce really a doctor. Really yeah. uh, we can't do it alone and mm -hmm. if and if when we get this degree and we get this title that we ever forget that shame on us yeah definitely shame on us it, it takes too many people constantly pushing and encouraging us to get to this place which is why i'm so big on making sure we pour into the next person. You have to. Yeah. You have to. You make it through a class, you make sure you encourage somebody else to make it through a mm -hmm. class. You make it through a study, you get something published, teach somebody else how to do the exact same thing. Like, we can't be selfish in this walk. And I know that there are some people who will tell you differently. They'll mm -hmm. say it's like a doggy dog kind of world. And yeah. You got to get yours before somebody else to get it. Yeah. I don't believe in that stuff. That's yeah. not me. That's not my personality. I'm a giver. Mm -hmm. And it has opened me up to receive a village like no other. It's a loving village. It's a scholarly village. It's mm -hmm. a funny village. Um, the village shows up. You know, I'm I'm not afraid to talk about personal things like having a surgery my third my third year. Mm -hmm. The beginning of my third year. Yeah. I had a surgery in the middle of a PhD program. Like who are you doing that? Get together, get your body in check. But I couldn't not have it. I was out here dying. Like literally, physically dying. And my village showed up Anthony you showed up you know they showed up anything I needed I was like trying to act like I wasn't in pain they're like can you sit down yeah, can you yeah. sit down like you, you just got opened up can you please sit down 
um, people were so encouraging. They were like, you are no less of a scholar if you need to take a month or a week to heal. You know, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes people think that in this program, you are always 100% healthy. Like you don't get sick if you're a PhD student. No, <laughs> I feel like you're more susceptible. Like what? Y'all better be careful with this COVID-19. But yeah, um, yeah, the village shows up. They showed up during the surgery. They show up when I have studies. They show up when I just need somebody to read over stuff. Sometimes you just need to kind of talk through your ideas. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you need people to be like, oh, I don't know about that one, but that one was good. This other yeah. one over here. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's good. It's true. Um, the village is, is, is everything. It's, it's, it's everything. The adoptive family that we get when we come to this place, professors mm-hmm. who take us under their wing, mm-hmm. um, classmates who say, hey, like, we going to finish this thing together. Yeah. That's everything in this program. You, you can't. There's just no way. I feel like I went off on a tangent, but I do. No, and you know what? I think that, that you know, what you just said is, is absolutely right. We really <laughs> do need this, like, a village and a group of people to help not only like guide us to where we need to go, but just that support system because, like you said, it can be a dark place. It really can. Yeah. And um, I think that that's some some things that we need to tell people ahead of time. You know. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know because you know it's it, it's not easy. You know it's like somebody once told me if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. You know? Right. And it's it's not an easy process, but it's a rewarding process though. And it's one of those things like, like you mentioned earlier too, it's like, we get to do research about things that we love, you know, and that we care about. And that for me, that's my driving force too. It's like, man, I get to read and write and then get paid on top of that to be able to have these conversations, to write these type of things that I want to write about, to, you know, research about. And that's fun. For me, that's fun. You know, I get to have... I get to meet amazing people along the way. You know, I've met you. I met Dr. Shrevi. I've met Dr. La Pastine. I'm just shouting out all the amazing people. Yes, you uh, are. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Robin Means Coleman, uh, Dr. Alonso. Uh, that's my committee, Dr. Perot. Okay. Another, another, another one. Uh, she's amazing. You know, no, Dr. Perot has done so much for us, too. So yes. we got to give a shout out to KP. Um, shout out, KP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, How do you and know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. Uh, I'll actually add the sound effect in there. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, but I think that this is a perfect transition and segue into the next question I was going to ask you, which is like, what is some advice that you would give to uh, someone that's maybe wanting to pursue a academic career or wanting to pursue um, a PhD program or even a master's program? Like, what's some advice or something that you would want to tell them? Because you just, you mentioned earlier that you want to pass it forward to the next generation of, mm-hmm. of academic students or, like, students in general. So what is some of that advice that you would want to pass to them? Oh, how much time we got, okay? Because, listen, um, one thing for sure is to eliminate doubt. That's yeah. the very first thing. Um, I think you will already come in pretty anxious because – some of us get anxious because because of uncertainty, right? Like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen. We get really anxious. But having some confidence in yourself, being really centered and knowing who you are. There's nobody else in the world like you. You can have a twin. I got a whole twin. 
but we are different, right? Nobody else in the world like me. And what you bring to a program, what you bring to research, what you bring to the classroom, whether it's a student or whether you're teaching, there's no one like you. You are valuable and they need you. They need you. Never doubt that. They need you. Um, when I say they, I mean the world, right? The world needs your research. They need your presence. I think sometimes we get in the middle of this and we feel like we're just another number. And that's not the case at all. Like the work that we do is personal. Really? It's personal. Um, never doubt that there's a place for you. And I say that knowing that there have been spaces that are limited. There have been tables that are limited. But the invitation will come. Mm -hmm. I know Tyler Perry said, create your own table. And that's cool if you got it like that, you can create your own table. But don't doubt that there is space for you in this academy. Don't ever doubt it. Mm -hmm. um, there were moments where I doubted. And there were people in my village who pulled me back up and were like, no, 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 no. The work that you are doing is awesome. It's great. And it's needed. People need it. Um, so don't doubt yourself. Eliminate, eliminate that self-doubt. Um, the second is make sure you have a village and make sure that you are a participant in that village. Don't only be the one that's always getting poured into, baby, you got to pour, you got to pour out some too. Mm -hmm. Um, don't always be asking other people to read your stuff. You need to read somebody else's yeah. stuff. Yeah. That is where the learning happens. I know they say, if you really want to be a good writer, you got to be a good reader. You got to mm -hmm. read some, somebody else's stuff. You got to be able to give feedback and to receive it with a mm -hmm. good heart. Because listen. <laughs> Reviewer number two. Okay. Listen. <laughs> um, I, I got the reviews back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after you make your edits and stuff, you realize like, hey, like, this was for my good. Mm -hmm. Either it taught me yeah, how, to, how to really respond to the root to the reviewers and the people who are critical of our work, but it helps us to be better in the end, right? Oh, exactly. If I wouldn't know how to argue my work, baby, you can't tell me nothing about it except, mm -hmm. except the things that will make it better, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so always, always know that it's gonna be working for the better. Um, so yeah, eliminate doubt, be a participant in your village. And hmm, what else would there be? Kind of stick with it. I know that this is a journey, so there will be tumultuous times. There will be highs, and they will be high. I know KP said that the highs will be high, and the lows will be low. Absolutely. He was right! It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, but stick with it. Mm -hmm. Know that this is for you, um, and know that you get to show up 100% as yourself. Stick with it. When I say that, I didn't know people were going to accept like this small town country girl, church choir, um, big body, <laughs> natural hair, kind of loud, but sweet as all get out girl from Big Money, Texas. I didn't know people were going to accept that. And what I found was, that they did but even if they didn't even if people looked at me and said oh she's not that smart or, oh we know how she got here you really don't y'all don't even know well i mean if you listened you kind of know now <laughs> um 
but it's a process that comes with it you know what i mean it's you know it's not easy to just get in you know what i mean no, um and no. and um so it you know you can't it's not one of these things that you can definitely be handed a silver platter you know what i mean this is one of these things you have to work for to achieve it you know so uh, yeah definitely like in your story that like that was freebie you know it's the, the fact that she saw that potential in you like mm-hmm. that you know okay. that's awesome now we'll say granted this should probably go along with my advice um all things aren't rejection mm-hmm. i'll say that'll be my last bit of advice and it goes along with the story that i kind of shared a couple weeks ago with my my online audience i just mean facebook (laughs) with the online audience but um i was saying how in 20 what was it 2017 i was waiting for the results if you will i was waiting to hear if i had got accepted or denied Mm -hmm. from this place and i got an email and it said that i was waitlisted Mm. Oh, Anthony, when I said I was so heartbroken, I was like, they don't want me. I'm not smart enough. There's no room for me. And I was going around telling people I had got rejected. That's not at all what the email said. The email said waitlisted. But in my heart, I was like, that's rejection. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they're just trying to slow down the process. They don't want me to be heartbroken immediately. So it's just like, waitlisted. And I was in the beauty shop telling my God-fearing hairstylist, because listen, she was really about to pour into me that day. <laughs> I was telling her how um, I had got rejected. She was like, what did the email say? I was like, don't worry about what the email said. They don't want me. She was not having it. She was like, no, what did the email say? I said, well, I said, I got waitlisted and they can't offer me anything right now. So I'm just like, maybe that's a sign that what I feel like I heard from my life wasn't what I heard. Maybe I need to clean my ears and I need to go back and see what it what it was, what it's supposed to be. But she was like, no, wait list doesn't mean rejection. It just means wait for the answer. And I was like, no, I don't think they want me. Like, it's, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. She was like, no, that's not what that means. You need to wait for the answer because that's what wait list means. And believe that what is for you will be for you. Even if it's delayed, even if it doesn't come in the timeline that you want it to come in, even if you have to wait an extra year, you know that this is for you. So wait for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I waited an extra week. <laughs> and I got an email. Oh, I feel like shouting. I got an email. And it said, still interested? Question mark. Hey, we would like to offer you a full ride. Oh, where's like the shouting church music when I need it? Um, <laughs> it said, are you still interested? We would like to offer you the full package. We hope that you haven't accepted anywhere else. Well, what they did not know, and I wasn't about to tell them, was that I didn't apply anywhere else. Like, I started applications for Howard. I started applications for UT. I started applications for LSU. But my heart was here. Like, mm-hmm. so I didn't even finish those. I was like, if I know that that's not where I'm supposed to be, then I'm just going to apply here. And if it doesn't work out, then it just don't work out. Yeah. Well, well. When I got that email that April morning, <laughs> I was so afraid to tell people that I got accepted. Like, listen, I was like, oh, snap. I didn't tell all these people I got rejected because in my heart, I was yeah. I was already doubting that, yeah, this was, yeah. that this wasn't for me. And when I got waitlisted, when they told me I was going to have to wait for an answer, I was so, so sad. But what it prepared me for was that a lot of things in this process will cause you to wait. Yeah. 
you submit an article, now you got to wait to hear if people like it. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you feedback and then you have to wait to hear if they like it enough to publish it. You apply for grants and now you got to wait to see if you're going to get those grants. You apply for scholarships, now you got to wait to see if you're going to get those scholarships. Um, it prepared me for the waiting process that is the PhD program. Like I know people who were in this program for seven plus years. Mm-hmm. I know people who were in their program for 10 years. And so if anything, it reminded me that I knew that I was supposed to be planted here for several reasons. Um, there were several people I needed to connect with. There were several people I needed to collaborate with. There were several people who I just needed to touch, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that was my heart, whether that was financially, whether that was spiritually, I knew I was supposed to be here. Um, and when that when that thing came in, it, it was life changing. And I tell people all the time, like y'all look at me and y'all think that my life is a testimony. There are other folks mm-hmm. out here who have just as much influence, who have gone through just as many things. And the reality is, is that there is space for you. Eliminate the doubt, pour into and participate in your village and know that if this is the place for you, that there's room for you and that you will grow here. You will flourish here. Mm -hmm. Even through the storms, you will still get the nourishment that you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. That's fantastic advice. So we've had a lot of amazing conversations in relation to the academic side of mm-hmm. Asha Winfield. And but now I, I want to know, like, what are some of your passions? I know one of your biggest passions is photography. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, talk to us about that. Like, um, about like what got you into, into photography mm-hmm. and how did it become so, you know, like, like academia, how did it become so ingrained in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, um, like, like even my research, it all started back home. Right. So my daddy put a camera in my hand when I was young. Like we mm-hmm. were at family functions and he was like, I need you to take pictures. And I was like, I don't want to, I'm shy. I don't want to ask people to smile. <laughs> but he was like, no, go ahead and take these pictures. We need these pictures. We need these memories. Um, he passed on to me his gift and his trade. Like he mm-hmm. used to take pictures. Like, so he was a barber who had fancy cameras. <laughs> like he was always capturing the moment. Um, he's also a storyteller. Like this man can recall a memory in the most entertaining way. And I just wanted to be like daddy. Like he he's fun. And so growing up, taking pictures at every event, every family function, like you knew I was going to be in there with a camera. Um, and so in high school, I already knew that I liked broadcast i loved watching the news with my parents you know just watching how people were like all together and doing the things Mm -hmm. so i signed up for classes in theater (laughs) i had to do it and i also signed up for classes in tv production Mm -hmm. film production yeah and i loved it i produced stuff that they ended up putting on television back home like that's how much i loved it and apparently i was good at it i don't have any of the dvds from back then but it was good (laughs) One of my first television shows was a show called Band Mentality. Mm-hmm. And I followed the the marching band. You know, they would be doing all their dances and stuff. They really getting down with it, okay? Um, and I would follow them to all the games. I would do interviews. I would be on the field when they would do their halftime show. And I was like, I love this. I'm going to take this up in college. <laughs> like, I, I loved every bit of it. And so 
my senior year in high school, I was like, I think I'm going to start a business. And I just started telling people, like, I'm going to buy a camera. I went to cons and got one of them little cameras, one of them cannons. Mm-hmm. Shout out to cons. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they let you make payments. Let me stop, man. But nevertheless. <laughs> They're our unofficial sponsor for our pod- this podcast. Okay, they're unofficial. <laughs> I ain't gonna say too much because they will pick up your stuff. But nevertheless, <laughs> 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 that's so funny. <laughs> okay, I got me a camera. I just started taking pictures. So I was telling people my first year at Lamar University, LU that I was out here and I'm a photographer. I'll take your graduation photos. So I just started taking people's uh, graduation photos. I started taking pictures and videos at people's weddings. And I was like, I need to put a name on this. Mm-hmm. So 2008, 08 the Great, um, Productions by Asha was established. Um, I got me some cameras. I got some backdrops. And I started doing what more weddings. I started doing music videos um all kind of photos like people got married they wanted photos people had a baby they wanted a photo uh engagements i even did a funeral one time because oh, wow. i remember because it was a big it was a big service okay. um, a, a police officer had passed oh, away and wow. like a whole like a whole ceremony it was so beautiful and they wanted to capture that moment and i was like i ain't never taking photos at a funeral but i will okay yeah. um Cause those were moments, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what? Over almost twelve years. Twelve years later, mm-hmm. I'm still taking pictures. I'm still asking people to tell me their story. Um, I love it. I love everything about photography. I love. I call it the the magic shot. This is the money maker. Mm-hmm. So the moment when a bride comes in, starts walking down the aisle, and they open up the door. I always gotta have two cameras, if not more. I have one camera on her, and she's coming in, and you got to get the reaction shot of the groom. Like, that's your money shot. If he's really in love, child, he won't even be able to console himself. Like, I've seen brothers be out here really trying to act like they're not crying, but they be like that single teardrop. And I've also seen it where, like, these dudes be, like, huffing and puffing in tears. I'm like, yes, you better give me this, this action shot. So it's love. I love it. <clears throat> I love everything about it. <coughs> Excuse me. I ain't bring no water. Production. <laughs> no water. No water. But um, I love it. I love everything about it. I love that I've been able to capture moments with people who have later passed away. And like mm-hmm. people will be like, can you please send me those pictures? I'm like, I have those memories to share with people. That's awesome. Um, I've, I've done obituaries. I've done logos. I love to be a part of telling somebody's story. So sometimes that's video. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's pictures. Sometimes that's in an image, in a graphic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I want to be a part of that. Like I want to capture people's vision and make it happen. Um, has there been one project in particular that has stood out to you or that would say is one of your favorite projects? Um, let me see. Let me think. Let me think. Um, so I've done some music videos mm-hmm. for my brother, who's a rapper. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> um, and I just love that I can bring my whole community together. Mm-hmm. He's a gospel rapper from Beaumont, Texas. 
also known as the Disciple. And he got several of his other rapper friends from around Southeast Texas. So that's Houston, that's Beaumont, that's Port Arthur, that's Orange, um, to come together and to make this this song. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Ash, I want you to direct it. And I was like, this is going to be the first time I've ever directed like a video that wasn't about me. So this is going to be great. Um, the whole day we had like a, we had set locations, we had lights, we had cameras, we had people working production, we had actors, we had we had it all, and I just loved the moment of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like I was working, and what I felt like was my purpose. My brother and his fellow rappers were working in their purpose because they had a message. Um, everybody was working in their gift and we produced something that was beautiful Um, and we did it again Um, and I loved it I I love when people are like walking in their destiny and they collaborate with other people who are doing the same Mm -hmm. it's no hate it's no malice it's everybody working towards a common goal and that's to get the vision done and that's what I love. That's awesome. That's what I hope. It's my goal to not only study media and culture, but I want to produce films and documentaries about how they impact people. Um, and I look forward to that. I really, really do. I think you'd be amazing for that. And you have a perfect mentor for that, too. So, uh, yes, I you know, I, I, you know, shout out to Dr. Coleman, who... Um, She's not only done scholarship on uh, Black identity within horror films, but she also did a documentary on the subject matter. And I just think that's one of the coolest things ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy to think how our scholarship can evolve from one thing to another like that. Mm-hmm. And, and similar to the way you're talking about these music videos, you know, that, yeah. that all these little projects that we do can contribute mm-hmm. to not only um our hobbies and you know maybe side projects and stuff but also to our scholarship you know yes and i just think that that's so cool that we're able to create little projects out of the stuff that we care about and our passions guide us into the professions that you know our profession that we are now in and are going to so i just think that's fantastic yes you know as i'm thinking about like how research is so impactful um, because I really wanted to turn parts of my dissertation into a documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm just going to do like a little pilot test. So I'm going to get an IRB approved in case I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so last fall, I was doing, I was capturing video and just some other stuff of how people were engaging or choosing not to engage with black biopics, especially mm-hmm. those that have like violent content which is a lot of them, okay? Right. Um, and so at the end of it, in, at the end of it, we were in a focus group, and a couple of them said, like, thank you. And I was like, for what? And they were like, thank you for gathering us together just to have a conversation. Like, it was therapeutic. And I was like, a focus group was therapeutic for you? Like, even with the subject matter that we're talking about? And she was like, it was just good to set aside space to talk with people who look like you about our experiences. Some of them the same, some of them different. But just to take the time to hear people, to listen to their stories and to engage with them, even as they're engaging with the media and society, and to tell them that they are important. Mm -hmm. 
like your story is important your experiences are important like we can we laughed about all the the television shows and the movies that we watched growing up and you know how they really impacted us and then we also mourned for the stories that we watched that broke our hearts yeah and just that moment in research was everything to me i was like this is the moment that i want forever Uh, whether it's focus groups or interviews or whatever it may be. Like, I hope that I always have the moment where I can empower my participants enough to know that their story is important. Not just for numbers or some part of data. Like, no. Even beyond that, like, your story is important. That's everything. That's everything. It, yeah, it, it's it's true. And, you know... I really love this conversation. I love the stories that you told, Asha. You know, they've been, you know, I honestly, I hope that the people who listen to this episode really, you know, are inspired and leave with a positive attitude and with a smile because, you know, um, as long as I've known you, you've always brought that positive attitude. You've always brought that high energy and you make people smile. You make people smile. And you're just an overall amazing person. And, you know, I think that the work you're doing is amazing, you know, whether it's your academic work or your photography work, because I've seen your photography work and it's phenomenal. It really is. And so um, before we conclude, is it, are there any uh, places for people to check out your work or check out your photography or, you know, anything that you want to, um, you know, have people check out? Yeah, if you insist. First, thank you for those kind words. You know, it's my life goal to make people smile. Like one person smile a day, like then we good. If it's more than that, then I've I've reached saturation, but we good. (laughs) So thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. And even the space to like share. Like, I hope that people listen to the whole thing, but also I appreciate if they listen to a part of it and are encouraged by my story and my experiences. So um, if you're interested in seeing some of my videos or photography, then you can go to my website, which is www.productionsbyasha.com. So that's www.productionsbyasha.com. Um, there are le- links to old YouTube pages that I have, but all the videos that you need to see are on the website is, and also photos. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. Um, well, I, I had an amazing time hanging out with you and having this conversation with you. And um, I think we definitely need to do like a second part sometime in the future, like once, yes. you know, we, we, uh, we have a chance and stuff. Um, but this was amazing. Thank you for all the support that you've given me personally, all the guidance you have given me because you really helped me a lot throughout my process as a PhD student and on my next steps forward. And thank you for being here as a guest. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what else you do in the future. Yay. Thank you, friend. Again, thank you so much to Asha Winfield for being a guest on this week's Academics and Amigos. For more on Asha, be sure to check out her Twitter and Instagram, which is at Asha Winfield, or her website, which is www.productionsbyasha.com. For more on Academics and Amigos, be sure to visit my website, www.arramirez.com, or our Twitter page, which is at Academics Amigos our Instagram page, which is Academics and Amigos, or we're on Facebook now. Just look up Academics and Amigos and like our page. For more on me, be sure to check out Latinx Act Pop, which is on Twitter. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be cool and stay awesome.